the most valuable thing you can give your children is your time. You know, they can be in 10 sports and all the various activities. My children have never once as adults told me, Dad, I used to love it when we were rushing to go to Boy Scouts, eating a Happy Meal in the back of the car as we were hurrying from one place to the other. But they're always like, Dad, I love that we would sit there and play Minecraft all day on a Saturday. Oh, here we go again. Hey, everybody, here we are again. It's your favorite dads, your digital daddies, your online in-laws. It's me, it's Sam this time. Your two dads coming at you with another guest. We have the wonderful Jack Robertson here from Midwest USA. He's come to share his fatherly wisdom with us. We appreciate him taking the time out of a what had to be a pretty busy Friday. They always seem to be. And we hope that he uh, gives us all the goodies that that he can uh, throw out in, in the short time that we have. And I uh, just wanted to uh, give you a little bit of time up here in the front to introduce yourself, Jack, and, and tell us you know, a little bit about yourself before we get started. Uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And I did not have a busy Friday because my goal is to come home and not leave my house. <laughs> Don't tell me to go big or go home because I will go home every single time. <laughs> I'm still that. happy to be on. Um, I have, uh, I'm, you know, 53 kids. Son of a veteran, veteran, father of a veteran. So the military has kind of been a big part of my life. Um, lived in Oklahoma since I was 10. So my dad got stationed at Tinker, been here ever since, kind of become my home, especially since my wife's from here. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, it's just work for the state of Oklahoma, the uh, Oklahoma Museum of History, doing historical stuff. That sounds like fun. That's cool. It's not. It's incredibly boring working <laughs> in a museum. Is, there is no excitement working in a museum. There's There are no artifacts coming alive and hot and shit. It's just, it's dull. Oh, well. Um, <laughs> if, if nothing else, that might have made, made it good real. Um, so, uh, you know, it sounds like you've had a pretty good life so far. Uh, definitely full life. And you did bring up the fact that you're in the military, which makes me want to mention that this is a part of our series of interviews with uh, dads from military or military adjacent careers trying to get a good look uh, at what they go through, what they endure, you know, what the military does to a person who try, who's trying to be a dad in today's society, dealing with everything that they have to deal with. And we will definitely be talking about that as uh, as the show progresses. And uh, let's see, I have uh, all kinds of notes. I'm really good about notes these days. Tried to do this thing, just flying by the seat of my pants once and ended up uh, with all kinds of really cool silences and and just a great episode all the <laughs> way around. So you uh, mentioned that you are the son of a veteran dad. I have him for, uh, being in the Air Force. And I, myself and Dan, uh, Dan, Sam, we were both in the Air Force or in the, golly, the military. But as far as our parents, you know, we don't have that experience. So what was it like having a dad uh, just like you that, you know, probably worked long hours, seven days a week sometimes. Yeah. Um, to me, it, it just, it was no normal life. I grew up on Air Force bases. Um, my dad actually joined the Air Force for an odd reason. All of his friends that he graduated from high school with were getting drafted into the Marine Corps. And my dad thought, I don't want to go in the Marines. I'm going to take my fate in my hand. And so he went and enlisted in the Air Force. He thought, 
maybe I won't have to go to Vietnam. That plan did not work out. (laughs) (laughs) And so uh, he got out and then um, met my mom, got married. She was pregnant with me and he realized that he needed to uh, have a, a better job at the time and tried to go back in the air force. They weren't taken on prior. My mom wrote a letter to her Senator. The Senator wrote back and said, you should be expecting a call from the air force because they would love to have your husband in the air force again. And so uh, he enlisted. I was born a week later at Fort Benjamin Harrison. A week later, my dad moved to Arizona. Two weeks later, I flew to Arizona with mom. And then what a year later, he went to Korea for a year and we moved a bunch. Then we got to Tinker and never moved again, but you end up on military bases. It's a city within a city, but there are all of these sort of other things that other cities don't necessarily have. Like every Monday is yard inspection. So you have to have your yard mode on Monday or you get in trouble when you're in the service. And um, when I was eight years old, my dad went on TDY for three months over the summer and I was taught to mow the yard. Um, And it was funny because I couldn't actually, you know, keep in mind, this was like 1982, right? Mowers didn't start easily then. So Mm -hmm. my mom would have to come out and start the mower for me so I could go and mow. (laughs) But um, so you just have to do stuff like that. And all the dads, even if they're not in the same unit, knew each other. It was so weird. So if you were eight blocks away and you did something, your parents knew about it before you got home. And often you'd get in trouble from the other parent and then you'd get home and get a second round of discipline. (laughs) But, you know, for me, it was just normal life. And I actually appreciate that that's how I grew up because I grew up in such a, diverse and multicultural sort of area you have no control who lives next to you so if you wanted to play football or baseball or soccer we were going to be friends mm-hmm. and that was sort of the basis of everything and I, I think it's made me a better person so that uh brings a question to mind just one of those things that kind of pop up over the course of the interview that really just served to derail things but when you say eight blocks away that made me think about the the few bases that I was on because yeah, I spent a lot of time at a very few number of places. And it was always, you know, like here was uh, the uh, housing and then mm-hmm. a street away, a block away, here was, you know, the battalion. And they didn't really seem to have a large uh, neighborhood type of uh, situation like you would see in, you know, in, in a normal mm-hmm. small town. So, uh, like I said, that was uh, experience from uh, Fort Jackson, Fort Huachuca. Uh, and essentially Schofield Barracks in Hawaii uh, for the most part. You know, I went to a couple other places, but that was where I had the most experience. So the base that you uh, spent time on, bases that you spent time on, did you, were they big enough to have neighborhood type of situations or was it the same where you just like, you know, one one side of the street is is your home and then the other side of the street is where dad goes to work? No, it was full on neighborhoods. There's like on Air Force bases, there's generally like the neighborhood housing area and then all of the other stuff is generally on the other side of the base, but that probably has to do with the fact that they're by the runways, okay. I would imagine. And so housing also has to be a certain distance from the, from the runway. Um, Sound issues and whatnot. And occasionally planes crash when they're landing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not yeah, saying that yeah. you want that to happen, but occasionally that uh, does happen. Uh, example, wow. when I was a kid, we were stationed at Dias Air Force Base in Abilene, Texas which had B-52 bombers. And one Saturday night, a B-52 took off, a bird flew into the engine and it had to land on the interstate. 
<laughs> All right. Exciting day. Uh, yeah. You hear about that. I actually worked at the airport and they talked about it like that was kind of a common thing, but it wasn't something that I experienced. I think I experienced it like one time in six months or so. And even then it was like, what happened? Uh, you know, a bird flew into it. Like, ha ha. No, no, really. Yeah. Okay. I still don't know if you're telling the truth. So, uh, but yeah, that's, uh, birds are dangerous. They'll kill you if they can. They do not like yeah, people. Yeah. So it's true. <laughs> I, I was wondering based on your age, I don't know exactly when this movie came out, but you were kind of young in 82. So it kind of follows Top Gun, big thing in big deal in your house. Was that on all the time, just on the weekends? Um, it was definitely a huge milestone for my generation at the time frame. Um, growing, of course, there's the movie. There used to be movie theaters on military bases. I don't think there are now. And Top Gun played for a good solid month. So generally, because you could go get a movie, a hot dog, and a soda for a dollar fifty back in the day. Wow. Back in the day. So yeah. So pretty much every Saturday. It was easy to talk your parents into, you know, because they want you to get out of the house. So it was generally full of, you know, junior high kids and watching Top Gun for the umpteenth time at the theater or, you know, whatever, Ghostbusters 2, you know, just those type of movies. Generally, they were about six weeks behind the civilian uh, yeah. world's I type. That, but, yeah. but yeah, so uh, that's another thing about growing up military. Every time a movie starts, you have to stand up for the national anthem and put your hand over your heart. That is. Yes, you do. I'd forgotten that. I'd really only seen a couple my entire time. But yeah, that's true. Uh, that that brings me to two uh, kind of serious questions. And I don't want to get uh, too dark. But first, first thing, uh, are you a Maverick guy or an Iceman guy? Um, I'm, I'm going to go with Iceman. That when I, when I was younger, it was Maverick, but now as an old dude, I would punch him in the face. Yeah. As a, as a wiser man, you know, that ice man is where it's at. Yeah. Uh, second serious question. And, and this one might be an easier choice. For, uh, who knows? Top gun or iron Eagle. Okay. <laughs> Top gun is the better movie, but iron Eagle is completely ridiculous. <laughs> and there and it is so there's no way that would happen <laughs> but i have to go with iron eagle because of the ridiculousness of it i mean i, I being a a son you know with a father in the air force like that probably hit home you know like right in your bullseye like i could do that if that ever happened they would recruit me right? and i would go <laughs> save my dad yeah, well, except for a tinker, I'd be still in an AWACS, and I don't know how much <laughs> that would that would be helpful. <laughs> At that point, I guess you'd have to go kind of like a, a taken situation where you go outside the bounds of your job and just get things yeah. done. <laughs> uh, so I've taken up a, a bit of time with my silliness, and I wanted to give uh, Sam a little bit of opportunity to speak if he had anything that he wanted to get out of the way here in the in the icebreaker uh, phase of things. Uh, anything uh, percolating in your mind there, Sam? Well, I can kind of relate to to Mr. Robertson as far as like growing up with a with a military family background. We moved around a lot too, and in, in the early eighties, um, uh, let's see, I think my parents were stationed in. We were they moved from California, and then we moved over. I think to the East Coast. No cor- correction, moved to uh, Vicksburg, Mississippi, and you know, being in a biracial family back in you know the late seventies and the early eighties in the Deep South wasn't exactly the best kind of environment you can imagine it would be my dad yeah. would tell me stories about how he used to have to carry his sidearm and be in uniform just to go out in public or even go out to the grocery store 
um, you know, and just to make his presence known that, you know, uh, just he just wants to get his groceries, just wants to, right. you know, live his life, you know, and it wasn't uh, it wasn't a very uh, welcoming environment um, from what my parents tell me. And then I think when we moved from uh, uh, Vicksburg and the Jackson area and stuff like that down in Mississippi, mom and dad got re, uh, reassigned, I think, up to New England. And I think we spent some time either. Um, I think it was either in New York or Massachusetts. Pretty sure it was Massachusetts. And uh, uh, from there on out, we I think we decided to uh, to move back down to the south and move to Tennessee for uh, a good portion of my upbringing. Where up until you know I met Corey and then decided mm-hmm. to join the uh, join the army myself. But uh, and area area beautification is what we used to call it. You know, whenever you have to get up and you do the yard work or make sure that your room squared away or, you know, you're picking yep. up all this, uh, picking up all this, uh, you know, trash that doesn't even belong to you out of your own yard. And, uh, <laughs> man, it was, uh, <laughs> it was a time my, my, my dad had this thing where he would, um, on school nights when we were in our formative years and school age years, my sister and I would have to stand outside of our stand outside of our bedrooms with our clothes picked out that we were going to wear for school the next day, ironed and pressed on a hanger ready for inspection. And we had to have our completed homework in hand <laughs> for our, for, for our dad to, to go over it and to um, inspect it to make sure that all of our assignments were done, completed and ready to, to turned in. And that was, um, I don't know that, I don't know many civilian families or many civilian uh, homes that uh, kind of go through that same uh, routine, but that was, Wow. And that was a, that was a different kind of experience. I don't make my kids do that, but uh, it was a, it was a, it was something else. Uh, Did you have to do anything like that whenever you were growing up? (laughs) Thankfully I didn't. My dad was not uh, that strict and maybe some of that is an air force mentality, right? You know, versus a army or Marine mentality. Um, But yeah, no, I didn't have to do stuff like that. you know, generally speaking, that was my dad was was a weird, not weird. He was an odd combination of things. He was laid back, but he had a temper, and he was a yeller. So he would, if you screwed up, you would he would just yell at you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he didn't. He was like never physically abusive or anything like that. But he would definitely yell at you. And since I was the oldest, a lot of times. Uh, my siblings knew how to do things that I would get in trouble for. Those bastards. <laughs> um, <laughs> setting you up. <laughs> yeah. Um, my sister learned early on that all she had to do, because I'm six years older than her, was say something like, Jack did this to me. And my parents were like, oh, well, and I'd get in trouble. And I'm like, she's freaking lying. I didn't do it. If I'm going to get spanked, I might as well have done the thing. Which is what my younger brother would do. He would be like, oh, well, if I'm going to get in trouble, I might as well actually hit you then. I'm going to make it worth my wild. Yeah. But as far as the having inspection and stuff like that, my dad wasn't like that. Um, he did. There were certain things, you know, like I said, with the yard that at a young, probably younger age than a lot of kids would have had. I had to do and know how to do because at any moment, you know, he go on TDY or whatever. Right. So like I was taking trash out at like, you know, to the curb or whatever, like six years old and just stuff like that. But, you know, it makes sense that if you're going to be gone for an extended period of time that you would, you know, 
my mom was a stay at home mom, but she still had enough to do with three kids and, and all of that stuff. And like, uh, my seventh grade year, my dad spent in Iceland. Oh, Iceland. Wow. Yeah. We stayed in Oklahoma and he was in Iceland. He was actually there during the Reagan Gorbachev summit, which he absolutely hated because the base was on lockdown for a month. Oh, my. <laughs> but um, yeah. And then, okay, oh, yeah, go ahead. Ask, I was, ask I was just saying uh, that uh, today I learned that Sam comes from a military family. Uh, I don't know if you'd mentioned that. I just hadn't latched onto the idea, but I did not know that. Um, so that could be a future topic on an episode. I did want to, <laughs> before I forget, because I wrote down uh, something else and not this. So before I forget, I did want to ask for all of those other military children that might listen or be listening. What's, you know, you've dealt with this as, as an adult. What was it like for you as a child when your dad would go away for long times like that? Was it, was there an adjustment period when he came back? Was it kind of, you know, a smooth uh, uh, transition. What what did it feel like? I, I really have no basis to, you know, other than my dad, you know, kind of being absent from my life for long periods of time. I don't really have any kind of connecting point to, uh, kind of explain what that might be like in my in my own mind. So why don't you, if you could, uh, tell us a little bit about what that was like? It would depend on the length of how long he was gone. So like when he was in Iceland for a year, when he came back. Um, there was an an adjustment period because we'd kind of grown used to this is sort of how our life operates now. If it was like a two-week thing, that was almost like a vacation, <laughs> you know, in a way. Um, if it was like a, a three-month situation, about the time the new routine of him not being there would sort of set in, he would be back. And so him coming back from like a three-month one wasn't really an adjustment, but when he came back from Iceland, it took probably a couple weeks for us to get like in the old flow from before he was gone. Um, I mean, a year's quite a long time to have been gone. And um, I'm lucky that I grew up in a time when there weren't active deployments. I feel, I feel bad for the guys that had to go Iraq and Afghanistan. You know, I know somebody that did like eight tours between the two of them. That's that's a lot of time away from your kids. Yeah. Yeah. That's eight years. (laughs) That's a lot of money, but I mean, yeah, you're missing a whole lot. The combat pay for that isn't worth it to some people, especially when you keep rolling the dice like that. Yeah. 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 Um, Funny story though. I have a friend that lost his um, leg from below the knee in Iraq with an IED, but he didn't want to go out that way. So he rehabbed, did everything he could, got recertified with his prosthetic, got deployed to Afghanistan. He was on a patrol, stepped on another IED, but it blew up his prosthetic leg, (laughs) not his real one. And he was laying there and he said that he just got, I raked. He's like, it was the maddest I've ever been in my life. And I hopped up and just started shooting. He said, and the Taliban was coming down. And all of a sudden, this guy who should be screaming and dead is jumping up, shooting at him unaffected, missing a leg. And he said that they all turned around and ran off. (laughs) (laughs) He said, and then he took his medical retirement after that. He decided two IEDs in one person's life is more than enough. (laughs) Yeah, he deserved it at that point. That's an awesome scene, though. That's like something out of a movie. Yeah, yeah, it's almost a, too 
too good to be real. <laughs> yeah, for real. I, I was like, is that from a comedy because it's too good to be true, or is it from an action movie because he's badass? Yeah, if I if I hadn't, you know, seen all this because his left leg then had all it was it was gnarly because it had all these scars and everything. But yeah, because I'm sure it didn't, you know, completely miss all of the damage. Like yeah. it, an, it was still there, but it certainly took its sh- fair share. Yeah. Um, I do have a, a I guess, uh, an, a question that would move us forward a little bit in time okay. as far as our, our fatherly discussion. Before I take it there, did you have anything else that you wanted to get into, Sam, about this the early years? I did. Uh, Mr. Robinson, uh, what was your You can call me Jack, by the way. Oh, okay. Uh, when I was in the Army, uh, well, let me go back a bit. Uh, when my parents divorced after my dad retired, um, my mom was going to school and um, I started having to cook dinner for the family, but I really enjoy cooking. And so I'm like, I want to be a chef. That's what I want to do with my life. In 1991, there were not chef schools at every tech votech like there is now. There were three of them in the United States and they were expensive wow. as hell. And I had done some research and it was like, if you've been a cook in the military, it's a one-year program instead of two, which of course then means half price. So I had this goal of, I'm going to go and do that so I can go and be a chef. So I was a cook when I was in the army. That was the dumbest decision I ever made in my life, but also a really good decision because I learned while I enjoy cooking for family and friends, I do not enjoy cooking for people I don't know. Mm. So I got all of the training and I got paid while I was doing it and I didn't have a giant student loan. That would have sucked to have had a giant student loan and then discover I hate this and then pay it off and start over. So I don't, I, I like that I did it cause it was valuable and you know, it taught me a lot of stuff. Um, I've probably cracked more eggs than anyone you've ever met in your life. Um, crack a lot of like, crack a lot of eggs. They're not powdered eggs folks, or at least <laughs> not when I was in. Um, <laughs> did you have to peel potatoes? No, no, no. That's what KP is for. Oh, I hate it. I, <laughs> yeah. Um, we had, we had fun. I mean, there was a lot of times that it, that it sucked, but there were a lot of times that, you know, that we had a lot of fun. The hours stink. Uh, and so do you after you get done with it. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's loud as all get out in the kitchen too. It, yep. I think that's partially why I'm hard of hearing today is just from the noise. It was always but, 120 um, degrees for me whenever I got stuck with KP duty. So I came out there smelling like, you know, something that just crawled out of a dumpster in, you know, South America. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. In and, the sun for about three months. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Ooh, yeah. That smells not good. Mm-hmm. And when my, my oldest daughter had a job at Taco Bell and I was like, I hate that smell. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I did it. I, I'm glad that I, I did it. It was valuable. Taught me a lot of stuff. Um, did I still cooking wise, strangely enough, use today, but because um, I did all the cooking for our family growing up because you can only eat spaghetti so many times during the week, and that's what would happen <laughs> if my wife cooked. Oh, <laughs> but yeah, no. Um, uh, well, I guess I could. I initially went in the Oklahoma National Guard because they had passed a bill that if you're in the Oklahoma National Guard, you can go to college tuition free. And I was like, oh, this is cool. So I joined the National Guard. And then when I was in AIT, they defunded that program. (laughs) So I was out 
in the National Guard. <laughs> and then um, my wife and I uh, had a uh, our oldest whilst in high school. And uh, we were getting married. And I decided my job at the convenience store wasn't really cutting it. Strangely enough, I did not have a job cooking when I got out of AIT. And so I went active duty um, where I was in the 1st Cavalry Division at Fort Hood, Texas. Yeah. HHC 38 Cav doesn't exist anymore. Um, and then I got out. I was in the reserves for about eight months. And then they were downsizing at that time. And I got a letter that said, would you like to go on an active reserve? And I said, yes. So I transitioned to an active reserve. And that ended, uh, that period ended in 2000. And then I was going back. I was going to go back in the National Guard, told my recruiter, look, I've been to Matt. At that point, I'd been to Mets like five times. And I'm like, if there's something, I'm, I'm not, I'm leaving. <laughs> like, if there's anything that's wrong, I'm, I'm walking out the door. And he's like, okay. So the doctor's looking and I have this scar on my back because I had a mole that was right where your, uh, your web gear would be, you know, your LD. <laughs> and so would, mm. every time we'd go to the field, it would cut my mole open. And I was tired of buying new brown shirts because I was always, you know, bleeding from this damn thing. So I had it removed and they're all, what's that scar? And I'm like, I had a mole removed. And he's like, Oh, well, we're going to have to see if it was cancerous. Oh boy. And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, we're going to have to get that record. And so I hopped up and started getting dressed and he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm going home. He's like, you can't do that. And I'm like, yeah, I can. I haven't signed any paperwork. I can do whatever the fuck I want. <laughs> so I got dressed. I'm leaving and he's yelling, stop him. And some, you know, E4 is like, if you walk out that door, you're not going to be able to re-enlist. And I'm like, <laughs> but the mole <laughs> saved me because the, I was in a transportation, going to be in a transportation unit in the Oklahoma National Guard. And they got deployed to Iraq and they had something like a 60% um, injury and casualty rate wow. from their first two deployments. And I would have been in that unit. So I was like, wow. That that was a lucky mole. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Lucky mole. My goodness. That's yes, a, I, I like being alive. Yeah, for yeah. Yep. And yeah. and uh those aren't good odds. Those those are not good odds. No, no. Mm -mm. Uh okay, so jumping forward a little bit in time, taking this on into the daddy realm of things, I had a question that is hopefully of interest to more than just me. But as far as the entire uh we're not trying to get too deep into the micro, but across, you know, the, your child's, uh, your three children's lives, what would you consider? And let me make sure. Yeah. So, uh, what would you consider to be your favorite time of being a father? Would you think that you had the most fun when they were, you know, two years old, they're giggling, they're learning, they're being happy. Was it yeah, for some reason when they're teens and they're, you know, learning their personality, learning themselves, what was, uh, your, in general, most enjoyable time for your, uh, and maybe it was different for each, uh, each of the children. Um, but what was the most fun? Yeah, it's definitely different for each of the children. My oldest daughter, she was a joy to be around like the first seven years. <laughs> and then she became a teenager at eight and that didn't stop until she was about 22. Oh man. <laughs> um, <laughs> my son, um, he was born when I was active duty and I was going to the field or I spent like four months in Kuwait, got deployed in 96. When I came back, he didn't even know who I was because he's only like 10 months old. 
Um, he has just always been just kind of laid back. We joke that he's a reincarnated survivor of the Great Depression because at like two, he'd be up at six in the morning drinking coffee, reading the paper, and you're like, dude. <laughs> but he he has never really been a tr- any sort of issue or trouble or anything like that. It 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 almost sounds like BS, but I've always enjoyed doing stuff. We used I used to just go in there and play video games with them. Well, he would bring me back to life. Heal <laughs> <laughs> you as you were laying on the ground. Yeah, yeah. Um, although one time yeah, I came home from work and he, <laughs> yeah, oh, that was definitely it. I came home from work one time and he had deleted a game that I only had one level to go. Oh, Accidentally, man. he was like, "Dad, I was trying to get you further along," oh, and I was like, oh, <laughs> "Just give me a moment." <laughs> and then uh, my youngest daughter Emily, um, she's sort of the sort of the same the same way. I've always enjoyed uh, being around her, but when she became a teenager. Um, she's like the female younger version of me. Like our humor is the same. Our ADHD is the same. <laughs> you know, we're, we are very much the same kind of person. And um, it was about th- She had a lot of health issues. Um, she had a kidney issue. She had, she was born having an asthma attack. Mm. Um, yeah, that's, that's fun. She's been hospitalized for asthma like 12 times um, growing up. And, so, and she had some other health issues too. And it was about 13 where a lot of these health issues kind of got, she kind of got past them. And so before that, she always never felt a hundred percent, but about 13 is when she started just really being a hundred percent and feeling better. And that's sort of when her personality came and we, we just have so much fun to get hanging out. We used to be in the store and we'd just be laughing. People would stare at us like, how dare you enjoy each other's company? <laughs> <laughs> You're not allowed to do that. Yeah. And she also jokes that when she turned 14 is when my filter turned off. Oh, <laughs> you can handle this now, child. Yeah. Uh-huh. My, it's a nine year difference between my oldest and her. And so my oldest is like, yeah, dad only hardly ever cussed unless he was mad. And he was like, what are you talking about all the time? but um yeah so you know she was we just always got along and now as adults i i love being around my kids they're they're great kids they're they're great people in general and we don't really have any have any issues other than on the family chat my wife and the two girls talk too much on it so i'm always getting notices on my phone yeah, but you know that—that's the only complaint. Yeah, it's—it's it's a good complaint <laughs> to have. Problems. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so a bit on the on the opposite side of that, you've you know had these kids. They've been through all stages of life, virtually at this point, at least uh, up to you know pretty well adult age. And I was wondering with my child and and the child that my other co-host, uh, his is also young we are going through phases of, of problems that virtually to the number are best dealt with just by being patient and mm-hmm. just being there, you know, being active in the child's life. And, you know, we have a segment sometimes called grind my gears uh, originally enough. I'm sure you've never heard that before, but right. I'll be right here. We will complain about whatever the case may be. And it's never a big deal. And it's never something that's going to be a problem for long. 
but you have seen the whole gamut of things. So what would you say, uh, or maybe you would just uh, go with the common answer and what I expect you to say, when do, or when does parenting kind of get hard? Does it, does it change from, from child to child or is it, you know, typically right around, they turn into that, that teenage lifestyle, that teenage uh, mind frame. Uh, because, you know, right now, uh, you know, I don't want to like belittle anybody's experience and, and health problems change a lot of things, but by and large parenting at, at this point, is just, it's just kind of easy. You know, I just, mm-hmm. like, um, there are, there are times when you throw a fit all day long. It's like seemingly, I, how do you even have the energy for that? But at the same time, you know, you're two years old, of course, you're going to do that. So for, for a, a man that's, that's seen it all, what did, uh, when did you think, okay, parenting is actually kind of hard. Like, when did that happen? Well, <laughs> with, like I said earlier, with my oldest, it kind of started when she was about um, eight. She sort of took on this notion that she had to make sure that my son was always staying in line, which of course would irritate us. Cause it's like, Hey, no, you're not the parent here. And then she, uh, she was very strong willed. And so her teenage years were pretty difficult. And so I was kind of prepared for the other two, but I also got older. And so some of the things with her that I thought were important by the time I got to the other kids, I didn't care about or think was important. And um, looking back on it, I'm going to say the, the most valuable thing you can give your children is your time. You know, they can be in 10 sports and all of the various activities. My children have never once as adults told me, Dad, I used to love it when we were rushing to go to Boy Scouts, eating a Happy Meal in the back of the car as we were hurrying from one place to the other. But they're always like, Dad, I love that we would sit there and play Minecraft all day on a Saturday. You know, because I was just hanging out with them. And that's the thing that that they appreciate. So all I can say is be patient. Whatever they're doing, it's just temporary. You know, how, and I understand it's frustrating when you come in and a kid is, you know, marked on a wall or something with, <laughs> you know, with a marker or, you know, do whatever kids do. Um, my oldest daughter used to not want to wash forks and she would throw them away and that would drive me insane. <laughs> oh man. Can you not put it in the sink? You're putting the plate there. Anyway, mm-hmm. <laughs> see, I'm still slightly irritated by it. <laughs> How many forks can one man have to buy? Um, that's, a, that's a strange <laughs> little tick. Yeah. But um, your kids want your time more than anything. And the other piece of advice I, I'm going to give, and this one's difficult as an adult, but the payoff is monumental when your children become an adult. If you screw up as an parent, if you overreact, if you yell too much, whatever it is, if you screw up in dealing with your kids, you have to go apologize to them because a parent that apologizes to a kid teaches a kid that you have to own up for what you've done. And then you have an adult that apologizes when they goof up because you gave them that example. It is not easy mm. to go and do that. Be like, you know what? I overreacted. I, I yelled too much. You know, I, whatever the case may be, I apologize. And I will try to not do that again in the future. And that, that will make your kids understand, you know what, if my dad or mom can come and own up for what they do, 
it's something that becomes a a trait of them as well. Um, so that would be my one piece of advice. And believe me, it is not easy. Um, and the other piece of advice is if your kid has a gaming console and you have to ground them from it, take the power cord and put it in your trunk because then they have to stare at it while it's in their room. That makes the punishment much harder. (laughs) All right. Good bits of advice. I wanted to stay quiet throughout that because I could tell in the beginning that you were going to drop some wisdom on us and I wanted it to be really clean for the, uh, when I cut it into a reel. So both really good, uh, really good bits of information. I do have a question that will transition us into uh, you as a father uh, later, uh, kind of as, as a whole. Before I do that, uh, Sam, did you have anything? Um, I do have a I have a culinary question. I'll save for the end of the episode. Okay, <laughs> it's uh, like I said, it's nothing, nothing, uh, nothing crazy or anything like that. But um, right. as far as like when you were raising your children and as they were growing up, what habits did your kids pick up from you that you wish they didn't pick up from you? Um. My son is 99.9% of the time the most laid back person in the world, except for when he's driving. And that is totally a me thing. And he, I'm just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that to him. And now that I'm like 50, I just don't care. You know, I'm, I'm not quite a Sunday driver, you know, that has five car lengths behind in between cars at the red light. But I'm just like, oh my gosh, is that what I sounded like? Holy crap. And I'm like, son, maybe you should, you're going to give yourself a heart attack by the age of 30 when you're driving. You should calm down there, buddy. <laughs> so with my son, yeah. Issues, road grade issues mean that you, you're at least paying attention to traffic, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I hope he doesn't listen to this because that would be his excuse in the future. Oh, crap. <laughs> 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 that kidding. Um, and let's see, my oldest daughter... I'm trying to think of what, well, my oldest daughter is a smart ass. That's definitely me. And my youngest daughter is also a smart ass. And that is, that is also me. My son is on the spectrum. So he is not a smart ass because he does not get sarcasm. (laughs) But, you know, (laughs) a lot of people don't get my form of sarcasm. So, I mean, I I, I understand understand that, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, being on the spectrum actually helped him when he was in the military, believe it or not, because he's the tell him how to do it. And he does it. So when he was in the Air Force, this is how you do it. And that's how how he. OK, fine. So, <laughs> you know, so that's how he always did it. And um, he he was in for six years and um, he operated GPS satellites. Uh he does something with in the space field now as a civilian, but he's not allowed to tell us. And I'm not joking. He literally isn't. I've tried to break him. He won't do it. Um, you know, I was he's like, trying to Link. take the power cord away from him. <laughs> <laughs> every time he's back, right? every time he's about to break, he remembers that power cord. And he's like, no, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, you don't have to answer. Blink twice for yes. Once for no. Do you? <laughs> like, dude, stop. <laughs> it's like, I can't tell you that, Dad. But um, yeah, he had a pretty successful career. He once uh, was selected by uh, General Raymond, who's now in charge of you know, Space Space Force, to go and talk to uh, joint houses of Congress and 
uh, the Joint Chiefs of Staff about the capabilities of GPS, and he did that when he was 20 years old. So that's that's pretty impressive. And he also had to walk Vice President Pence through sending a command to a GPS satellite, to which my son said he was incredibly nervous because you do not want to be the guy that tells the VP a command for a satellite that costs a billion dollars and it crashes to the earth. And I'm like, yeah, you don't want to be that. I'm like, but every job interview at this point should be cake for you. If you can talk to the vice president and give a speech to Congress, everything should be easy. Yeah. Going forward. Get that hard stuff out the way. The rest of the life is going to be a breeze. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. But so his being on the spectrum in the military helped him out. And, um, one thing I did want to add, I don't mean to take over the show, but having been a veteran, son of a veteran, the father of a veteran, as strange as it sounds, being the vet, the, the active duty person is kind of the easiest thing because you're off doing the things. So you're not worried about what you're doing. Right. Mm-hmm. But when your dad's gone, you're worried about your dad. And when your son's in the military, even if he has a, the ultimate desk job, because if you're operating a satellite, you are not going to combat. Right. <laughs> but you yeah. still worry about, about them because, um, he was also one of the top five places to be nuked in a nuclear war because space command. Right. (laughs) So, you know, not that anything, not that I was necessarily worried about that, but that still is a possibility. So being the service member is actually kind of the, the best one to be because you're not worried about what's going on because you're in the middle of doing it. And, you know, you guys know when you're out in the field, being in the field sucks, but you're not worried about being in the field because you're doing what you're, you're training to do what you do. Yeah. I mean, as a military intelligence, like I've deployed, but I was in a building, you know, fortified, no windows, guards. So, right. you know, people, my family back here, they were worried about me, but at the same time, it wasn't something I was worried about because yeah. we were some of the safest ones in the area. But yeah, it's definitely, um, you know, exactly the way you you put it. They They're going to worry about you no matter what. And mm-hmm. it kind of, it, it was kind of like, kind of like cool in a way. It's like, oh yeah, like I'm in the danger zone. You should worry about me. But at the same time, it's like, you know, and like, I'm just out here doing a job. Like it's no big deal. I, Sometimes uh, that's a club that few people want to be, uh, want to be involved in though. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that's, that's not a club. That's not a club for everybody. Cause you know, sometimes yeah. you, they get these folks with the bravado that want to go out here on every deployment and, you know, and they show their ass and next thing you know, they're sitting in an urn and, you know, you got friends and family back home crying about them. So, I mean, like I said, it's not, it's not yeah. for everybody. You, you definitely got to take some of these situations and some of these areas in the world that you operate in seriously, because that, that might oh, be your yeah. last trip. Oh yeah, definitely. For sure. Yeah. It's, I, you know, like I was lucky I was in, in a time that was in between desert storm and Iraq, although I did get deployed um, to Kuwait 96 because Hussein moved a bunch like 20,000 troops to the Kuwaiti border. They thought that dude's going to invade again. So uh, Bill Clinton sent 5,000 first cavalry division troopers over there. And I guess we scared him because nothing happened. <laughs> I mean, so you, I could see your turn ended when my term was getting ready to start and we were still mopping up and still had business to take care of in the Balkans after the whole, uh, right. Slope, the, the old, uh, Serb Croat war and uh, mm-hmm. war in Kosovo and stuff like that back in the late nineties. And so I was still kind of involved with that. 
And uh, that was kind of interesting. So there was that little gray area there in between, you know, a a time of relative peace to, you know, before we started making our presence more known in the Middle East, you know, for a number of years. Yeah, yeah. My fondest memory of Kuwait is there were Indian, uh, we worked with a lot of people from India, when I say Indian, actual people from India. Right. And um, the people I worked with, we thought it would be funny to teach them American slang because they asked about American slang, but we completely made it all up. It wasn't real slang, which is <laughs> no. kind of a jerk move, but it was also <laughs> hilarious because like we taught them that if you really like somebody when they come instead of saying like hello or whatever, when you shook their hands, I will never forget this. We taught them that you would go, oh, fruity nipples. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just stuff like that. And when we left, we were being replaced by a detachment of Marines. And I just wish I could have seen that because that would have been hilarious. Three nipples and crayon jokes abound. Yeah. Yeah. They were really good at volleyball, though, because that was the only thing you could do in free time. They were some Olympic caliber volleyball players. Weird thing to remember, but. (laughs) It's those little details that really make the story. Yeah. And I also saw Smash Mouth. They were. They came and toured with USO. Wow, <laughs> their lead singer just passed away. Yeah, that's what made me think of that. I was going to say, yeah. very timely, uh, very timely addition. I I was saw, five uh, years later, I'm like, I know them. <laughs> I saw Toby Keith while I was uh, in, in he, he, wherever it was, he came and performed for us. That was pretty cool. Come to find out later, he did that all the time. So he's yeah, a good, yeah. good guy as far as that's concerned. My brother installed carpet in his house. Oh, <laughs> Because you know Small he lives, he lives. Yeah, he lives like thirty thirty minutes from me um, in Moore, Oklahoma, which is another suburb of OKC. And uh, my brother said they they got there at like eight in the morning, and a very hungover Toby Keith answered the door in his tidy whities Ha! That's great. <laughs> that just makes oh, me boy. like him even more. <laughs> okay, uh, so moving to uh, kind of the main course of the episode, we are little bit running short on time theoretically it's, camera's not going to turn off or anything but i don't want to drag things out too long don't feel any kind of uh, rush to explain things to us when i ask you how do you think that being in the military affected you as a father i'm not gonna you know throw anything out there as a suggestion because i just want to get it straight from you you know like uh, as far as uh, your short deployment you know how did how did that uh make things harder for you or, or complicate things for you and and just uh, in general, what was that like? I think it, you know, how I mentioned you want to hang out with your kids and want your time. I think that's where that came from because I was gone so much. You know, I was at Fort Hood for three years, but I was only actually home for a year and four months. Otherwise I was in the field or deployed. And I just felt that I missed out on so much of what the kids were doing. And that's why when I got out, I always wanted to hang out with them and spend time with them. Because to me, just being with them was important. And to me, that was sort of my my biggest thing. And I just like, I wanted them to know me and I wanted to know them. And I wanted them to be able to trust me and tell me anything. You know, and that to me was the main thing was give them your time. <laughs> and also. Fellas, if you have a daughter, there's going to come a point where learning to polish fingernails is important. 
Let them polish your nails. Nail polish remover gets rid of it. It sounds silly. Both of my girls are like, Dad, I love that you would let it. I'd watch football games and they'd paint my toenails. And I'm like, who cares? You know, they'd take it off. But for my daughters, that's a very important memory. And it sounds stupid. But for them, that's one of the things that they love most about growing up with me <laughs> was that I would do that for them. So, um. But yeah, I think that was, I think that's the main thing that affected me was time. Spend time with your kids. That's, uh, we hear that again and again and again. And that really is like the number one part of being a dad is just being there and spending time with them. Uh, I don't know what it is in what you said that made me think of this, but one of our recent clips that was, you know, as uh, controversial as they get, I suppose, was when one of our guests said that we asked him for his best piece of dad advice, which you've just been freely sharing throughout the episode. And he said that it was actually from a past friend of his and it involved the not worrying too much about where you lived or, or the toys that you gave the kids, because all they really cared about was whether you were there or not. And it, on YouTube, that thing skyrocketed as far as my you know low uh, number of views is concerned but it did draw some comments from people saying that, no, I disagree with that entirely. I remember all the toys and all the houses. So it kind of made me want to get a different opinion. And since you're the next dad that I've talked to after uh, seeing that you're the next dad, I'm going to ask. So what would your opinion be on that? Do you think that your kids, you can't speak for, you know, others too, too well, but for your kids specifically, do you think that they really remember a lot of the toys and stuff, a lot of the homes, or is it like you uh, were thinking, is it small things like spending time with dad? I don't know if the home part is something that they remember. And as far as toys, um, your kids are going to want whatever's popular at the time. You know, mm-hmm. um, my oldest daughter, which is funny, they're back now and she has one. But, you know, having her Tamaguchi was a really big thing for her. So, you know, was, oh, yeah. she was so, so hyped when she got that for Christmas. And um, my son wanted to get, uh, what was the? 360 yeah the next gen xbox yeah. i think it was the 360 um he wanted one and i was just like you know you can play mine but i just can't afford to spend the 500 bucks on it I said but i bet if you mow yards you can earn that money and he did he spent the summer earned his money bought his uh bought his own xbox and then he'd learned if i want something i can work for it so when he was 16 years old, he had worked and saved money and he had a 55 inch flat screen TV. He had the nicest TV in the house. And he's still like that. But then again, like I said, we joked that he's a reincarnated survivor of the Great Depression. And But for him, that was important. And he liked gaming. And I'm not going to lie and say having whatever the hot toy is, isn't something that is super important or not important to them. But it, it's like a balance. Because, um, like I said earlier, we played video games with my son and my youngest daughter. And generally speaking, it was them saving me. But it was the, the toy that they loved, and they love having the toy. But I would hang out with them while they played with the toy. I would, I'm, I'm going to say, I used to play My Little Pony in Polly Pockets with my daughters. My, you don't know funny until you teach a six year old what a, uh, a Dutch oven is, and I'm not talking the cast iron Dutch oven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Six-year-old girls will laugh for about three days after they discover that when you're playing, you know, 
Polly Pocket oh, with them. That makes me want a daughter now. Yeah, generally it would it would devolve into WWE wrestling and fighting. I'm not going to say that they were, you know, having yeah, tea parties, but you got to be careful where that where that door opens and where that where that hallway leads to. Once you start turning <laughs> kids on to fart jokes and pranks that involve flatulence, <laughs> hey, farts are funny. Oh, they are. Yeah, farts are always. <laughs> My son farted today, and I couldn't stop laughing. Oh, yeah. They're not so, funny when a great Dane does it, but they are funny <laughs> when oof, people do them. <laughs> Yeah, my, my dog has a habit of doing them like he will only fart near me for some reason. It's like he, he I'm his safe zone, and that's where only only place he can fart. Yeah. Or, his, or his trash can. Yeah, yeah <laughs> something. He's marking his territory. Um, I feel so <laughs> that was a lot of that was a lot of good stuff. We we jumped around a little bit, but every time we made a stop, you had some good information for us, some wisdom to share. Before we move in here to the second and final part of the episode, Sam, did you have anything else that you wanted to get out of the way? Ah, uh, just real quick, what, what culinary tips would you pass on to some of the dads out there that you know are foodies or maybe even struggling in the kitchen and so forth? With your level of training and maybe your expertise and passion, is there anything that you could pass off to them? Well, first of all, I'm going to now is a great time. There are so many cooking channels on YouTube, so many barbecue channels. Um. I have a coworker who says that I have done the most dad thing ever. And that's because I'll do uh, YouTube lives with pit masters, just talking about being a pit master. She's like, that's the most dad thing ever. And so you can learn a lot doing that and don't be afraid to uh, try new things, mm-hmm. you know, get the recipe, try the thing, bake. Baking's actually fun. As weird as it sounds, um, I am spending. I have spent the last two years trying to master making my own pizza dough, and I just can't get it how I want it, and it this really pisses tough. me off. Yeah, people are like, "Well, here's a clone recipe of Pizza Hut." And it's like, if I wanted Pizza Hut, I'd order Pizza Hut. I want it to be like someone to be like, "Did you learn how to make this in New York City?" Mm-hmm. Um, so that once again, it sounds almost cheap and lazy. Just do it. Go in and do it. Watch videos. You want to have good knife skills. You want to have a good knife. Um, If you can afford to get a better quality knife than, say, a Walmart chef's knife, definitely do. And make sure that you uh, keep it sharp. A dull knife is more dangerous than a sharp knife, strange as it sounds. And um, do not, if you're making a brisket, just know that it's going to be an all-night affair. It's like raising a kid. You got to be patient. Yeah, you definitely do. Um, I I don't know if that answered your question correctly or how you were expecting maybe, but all I can say is just the only thing you can do is do it. The more you do it, the more competent and better you'll get at it. And don't be afraid to try new things. Right on. All of our questions are more essay type than uh, true or false. So there is no real wrong answer. And we appreciate, you know, whatever you, whatever wisdom information you have to share. And that's a good one, Sam. I wouldn't have thought about even remote, like Sam's really good about putting two and two together and and coming up with good questions where I put two and two together and and I come up with a fart joke. So... (laughs) No, yeah. I I can do both. Uh, th- this this episode in particular, I've been real bad about coming up with anything that's going to get good content out of that I can repurpose. So I'm glad that Sam 
and you have filled the gap there and, and given me something that I can cut reels from later on. Cause I've just, I've just been fucking it up again and again. Um, we, as I said, leave the last part of the episode for the guest to share and promote and talk about whatever they might have that we either didn't get to or that they have going on as a regular thing in their lives. A lot of our guests have a podcast or a book or a program of some sort that they're trying to, to promote. So what is it that you have? I, I, I know already, but our guests don't or may not. So, or I mean, our, our listeners. So why don't you tell us what you have going on? Well, I, I have my own podcast. I co-host it with my friend, Kenyatta. Um, we've known each other since fifth grade. It is very rare as military brats to start an elementary school and graduate together. Um, but we did. And um, our podcast is called Kenyatta and Jack Save the World. And we talk about all sorts of stuff. We do deep dives into history. We talk about current affairs. Um, uh, the beginning of every episode, we have our WTF moment of the week. And yes, it's what the fuck. It's just things that we see that make you go, oh, my God. Sometimes they're negative, generally. But we occasionally will have, you know, something positive, like, holy cow, this is really cool. Yada, yada, yada. And, you know, we talk about just all sorts of stuff. Um, we'll just go into the history of something like how did historically black colleges and universities come about? Uh, we just recorded that episode last night in Kenyatta went and did some research on that. And so that's how, no, but we do lighthearted stuff. How did Sesame street evolve? What, what about, how did Mr. Rogers come about? And, um, oh man, we, what's, what's cookie monsters real name? It's Steve. No, <laughs> it's, it's, it's Sid. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, we just talk about all sorts of stuff like that. And sometimes they're serious. Sometimes they're not. Uh, we did a deep dive uh, with a friend who's a music producer about um, black exploitation films from the seventies, how that started. And so then we re- really good. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. we reviewed Blackula. Um, <laughs> right on. If you have not seen Blackula, you should, you should watch it. Um, yes. It's dated. And there are some parts in there that would not fly for a modern audience. Yeah, um, like, like most Dolomite movies. <laughs> right. Right. But, <laughs> But it's definitely interesting because they made all all black exploitation films had zero budget, essentially. And so right. to make the movies they did, when you consider that, is really, really cool. And it was really black exploitation films went on until the 90s. I had no idea. And had we not done that episode, I wouldn't have known that. Oh, they're still and, going on now. Yeah. Have you seen Black well, Dynamite? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, Black Dynamite's making is a parody of those. Yeah, but, that's a yeah, good one. Yep. So, so we just talk about all sorts of stuff and we have a good time and enjoy yeah. hanging out. And um, There aren't a lot of podcasts with, um, you know, people that are 50 years old and it's a white dude and, and a black woman. Um, it's sort of a different dynamic, um, but, you know, it works. We've been right? friends forever. We enjoy each other's company and we enjoy complaining about the world in our attempts to save it. There you go. And you, you bring, you know, two different, completely different perspectives there. So that's going to bring mm-hmm. or give a lot to your demographic that wouldn't have been there if it was just yeah. two old white dudes. Yeah. And um, one more thing, if I could uh, mention that I have started uh, something uh, that is sort of my focus, even though it's in a holding pattern right now. Um, and this deals with being a parent too. your, 
job as a parent does not stop when your kids become adults and they live in different states. Uh, last year, my youngest daughter, Emily, was on fire. I'm not joking. She was on fire. She had third degree burns on her right arm and her right thigh, required squint, skin grafts. Um, that's not a phone call you want to get. <laughs> mm. And then driving from Oklahoma to Colorado to, you know, to be there with her. Um, that was tough. I have never seen somebody in that amount of pain. Um, cause the, re- the treatment for burns is every bit as bad as the burn itself when you, uh, are on fire. And, um, like there was one point where she was getting fentanyl 30 minutes later, ketamine 30 minutes later, uh, Dilaudid 30 minutes later, fentanyl. And it was just taking the edge off. Um, but she survived. And um, she's 95% the person she was before. She has all of these new phobias that make sense. Uh, it happened in February of 2022. And in the last month, she's only started to be able to cook again. Because um, her accident started on a fire. She was making candles and the, candles ex- the candle wax exploded. Oh, goodness. And, um, but because of that, you know, it sort of, it had a pretty big effect on me, you know, because, yeah, one, had she not stopped, drop, and rolled, you know, who who knows what could have happened. And um, even then, it didn't put her, I think it was her leg out, and she had to get up and go and jump in the snow. Thankfully, it had snowed that day. Um, but, during her recovery process, I learned certain things. And uh, just real quick, 60% of people in America live a four plus hour drive away from the nearest burn unit. Some states don't have a burn unit. So if your loved one is in a burn unit, for most Americans, you're going to be with them, you're going to have to rent a hotel, which gets expensive quick. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so what happens. Uh, now, uh, especially since COVID and people can't stay in the room with the person, um, people end up either having to go home, leaving that person in the burn unit ICU alone, or they sleep in their cars, which would also have to, you know, just set. Cause I can tell you when your person's in that situation, your loved one, that is the most stressful thing that you will ever deal with and see in your life. Um, so would I have rather Emily not been on fire? Yes. But can some good come out of it? I hope so. So I have started a nonprofit. We are currently waiting for the IRS to approve our 501c3 status. Um, the nonprofit is called Mars Mission. Shirt I'm wearing. Um, Mars was Emily's stuffed animal that she had her entire life. And when we were going up there, she was like, bring me Mars. And so she didn't want it to be named after her because she felt like that implied she died. And so we named it after her stuffed animal, Mars. And what we are, our goal is, is to provide grants to pay for hotel rooms while someone's loved one is in a burn unit ICU. And really right now, that's probably the most important thing that I'm, that I'm doing, (laughs) you know, is, is to do that. And if I can have some good come out of her accident, then that's what I'm going to do. So uh, if you don't mind, I could get my website. If someone wanted to yeah, go make ahead. a donation. Everything, it's Mars. Everything you have. 
it's marsmissionfoundation.org. And um, you can go and uh, there's a, a PayPal link on there if you want to uh, to donate. Um, and I will say until we do get our official 501c3 status right now, um, you probably can't write it off on taxes <laughs> if you do donate. But I feel that it's an incredibly important thing. And um, the burn survivor community is sort of an underserved community as it is, but the families of burn survivors is even less underserved. And if we can just give somebody an extra week to be with, with their loved one in the burn unit, then for us, that's a huge win. Right on. That's, so, yeah, that's a big deal. A huge problem that you've brought to probably a lot of people's attention. I certainly would never have even given that any thought, not having experienced it myself. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, to, burn survivors are badasses. Um, you'd have skin to grafted skin, skin does not sweat. So you have thermoregulation issues. Mm. You're, you're either overheating or getting cold. And the more skin grafts you see on somebody, the worse their thermoregulation issues are going to be. And heat bothers you for the rest of your life. <laughs> you know, um, my daughter doesn't like to be touched anymore. Because you spend so long with basically open wounds as your grafts are healing that you don't want to be around people because you just don't know what, you know, common cold, whatever, easy way in. And it's just, Mm -hmm. it's really weird to see like someone will go to shake your hand and she's like, I don't do that. (laughs) Yeah. So that's what I was saying. She's mostly the same. That's one of her new phobias. (laughs) You know, understandable. Doesn't like to be around fire. Um, electricity goes out. She will sit in a dark room. She will not have a candle lit. Understandable. Yeah. yeah but I've grounded her from candles anyway. <laughs> that's the just bothering to be safe. thing to do. Yeah. Just yeah. to be safe. <laughs> very, yeah. yeah. Very, uh, grown up of you to, to take that bullet and to tell her that, um, it, cause it might've been a, in all honesty, you being like, we can't do that anymore. That probably helped her to be like, okay. Like, I can't do that anymore. Yeah, um, yeah. That uh, it kind of rings closely to a friend of mine. She has just come out of a really abusive relationship. And it was, you know, went on for a long time. They were living together. He wouldn't leave. And when they finally separated, uh, her mom was like, uh, I'm sorry, Tabitha, you're grounded from boys for a year. And <laughs> she was like, I think I really needed to hear that. That like, you know, that's really going to, yeah. you know, help me to to better myself in this next however long you know maybe it doesn't last a year but you know mom really kind of did all that she could when it came to you know helping her daughter get over that uh that experience and sometimes all you can do is just be there you know uh give support where you can like you did there yeah that's all you can do and uh, i'm also going to say that having a sense of humor about whatever the bad thing is also helps uh helps you sort of work through it um literally as she was in the icu her friends started messaging her and they're like where are you we haven't heard from you in a couple of days well if you go online and google uh, barbie doll and waffle iron you'll see where someone put one in there and it's like a melted barbie doll from the, you know the hot waffle iron and she just responded to all of her friends with that picture i did this to myself and i'm in the icu and it's like oh wow <laughs> Yeah, that's dark humor, but it helped yeah. her, you know, it helped her 
go through and trans, you know, work yeah. through that. And I, it, it's like that with pretty much, I think any sort of bad or rough thing that happens, the sooner you can joke about it, even if it's very dark, the better your healing is. <laughs> yeah. You know, if they're making jokes about it, that they're definitely at least progressing toward a better place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so um, that was actually like, one of the most fascinating parts of the, the podcast and we kept it to the end. I, you know, I, you gave all kinds of facts and stuff that I would never have known that, that thing about the uh, temperature regulation. That's fascinating. I would like, it makes perfect sense, but it was never something that I would have even thought about it. That's yeah. why I love this, like these podcasts, like, you know, it's like, this was supposed to be a, about you and, and being a dad in the military. And then like, I come away like learning about burn victims. It's just crazy. Yeah. Um, burn so, survivor burn survivor survivor Survivor, yes yeah yeah. and and a pretty cool uh mission that i might be able to support in some way shape or form usually i save these reels and i have so many saved up that they don't come out until after your episode airs but i'll be able to share this with uh whoever might be uh, open to that uh you know tonight or tomorrow so hopefully we can get some attention to that i appreciate it whatever Um, form we're still building the website. The only thing really that's sort of on there is the donate part. <laughs> um, the but you part. can't you can't give grants if you don't have the money to give grants, right? Yeah. And right. so um, we're still building the website. But starting a 501c3 was not anything I ever thought that I would do in my life. And then to find out all of the steps. So I had to go and come up to friends. Hey, do you want to be on my board? for this 501c3 because you have to have a board and you have to do all this. And then you have to register with your state so that you can then go register with the IRS. And then you get to wait six months and you're like, did I fill that out correctly? (laughs) Yeah. The whole time you're like, is it going to be approved? And you know, a lot of times you're in this holding pattern because a business, which I understand they're just not going to donate to somebody because anyone can say we're waiting for our 501c3 status. You want to be able to prove, I'm a 501c3 because people are going to want to write it off on their taxes, which I also understand. So you're just in this weird holding pattern and starting a 501c3 is just weird because I have severe ADHD and I don't know if I can focus on it for that. (laughs) I can feel that too. It seems as I get older, like this supposed children's disease is affecting me more and more. Yeah, no, that's definitely... Uh, the case with me. I'm like, am I getting worse? Do I need to be on Adderall? There's a shortage now. Yeah, I know. Like it's worse <laughs> as we need it the most. So I'm just yeah. like, I just tell myself, no, nah, you're, you're just confused. It's not really that bad. It's probably not even ADHD. <laughs> what was that on the wall? What is on the TV? So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, yeah. That's just how I, I live now, but no, no, uh, no big deal. I'm fine. Everything's fine. We're all fine. So I guess that's going to pretty well do everything or do it for everything on my end. I've got all my questions out there. You've answered them all wonderfully and more. And uh, just wanted to give this last little bit to Sam to see if he had anything else to add before we close things out, at least for the podcast listeners. Okay. Well, one of our co-hosts wasn't able to make it for the recording this episode. So whenever he's absent, I try to kind of step in and, and do my best to provide a nice little bit of humor towards the end of the episode and uh, right. some dad jokes to share here okay. with, uh, with our, with you guys and our listeners. Here we go. And uh, I think I picked out a pretty apt one this time and uh, let's give it a try. So <laughs> what's a chef's first job after finishing culinary school? 
Oh my God. I should know this. Now I'm under pressure and I can't think. After uh, I finished culinary school, like I give up. <laughs> my first job was being in the army after culinary. Or, you know, <laughs> I'm like, I can't make, I never had can't make a dad joke right now. Die under pressure. They only come to me when I'm not trying to make them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So so what's a chef's first job after finishing culinary school? All right. So the answer is finding an entree level position. <laughs> yeah, see? Oh, right there was, in front of me. I should have yeah, uh, right done that right you. away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dang it. The whore's divorce should have should have been there. Yeah. What can you do? That's the they see people make fun of dad jokes, but like there, there's actually an art to them. Like they are, it's really hard to get quite so obvious without being obvious about it. Cause I yeah, would never have known that, that out, yeah. but it was right. That there jokes are the best. Yeah. We, uh, th- those typically get a lot of views on the reels too. But at the same time though, people will be leaving comments about like, Oh, I heard this a decade ago. And I'm like, Oh well, you're, yeah, you're old. <laughs> <laughs> then what are they? They're dad joke hipsters. Yeah, yeah probably. Like, <laughs> they want, they're, they think they're dad joke connoisseurs, but they're really just dad joke douchebags. Oh, man. And there's that. Yeah. You want like, okay, you cr- critique the dad joke. I get it. I get it. But you have to, you have to appreciate the overall art of the thing. I don't like poetry, but I appreciate poetry. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah. Dad jokes, dad jokes are an art form. They really are at this point. And the, as long yes. as they keep bringing a smile to my face, I think we'll keep in. And as long as one of us remembers to tell it, I think that we'll keep doing them. So no, no definitely. Yeah, definitely. It, it, even when a bad uh, topic pops up in the episode, it's nice to end things with a, a top notch discount, all original dad joke from whoever happens. We pretend that our, our other co-host rots them himself. So when, if we've ever heard one before, it's because it somehow leaked out and someone else told it first. Right, and then right. if, as far as anybody's concerned, that's the truth. So I'm looking straight at the camera here. <laughs> If, if you hear it somewhere else, they stole it from us. Yes. So anyways, uh, I guess that's going to do it for us on our Spotify, Apple, iHeart apps. We appreciate you guys listening. Don't forget to rate and review and share and like, and then do it all over again because the real friend, real fans do that again and again. And uh, I know there's only nine of you or so, but you know, you guys keep the show going. So I appreciate that. And uh, I guess other than that, Jack, thanks so much for coming. Uh, Sam, I appreciate you putting in the work despite your health issues today. I know how bad migraines can get. My wife gets them not often, but enough for me to be experienced with them and to know their debilitating nature. So I'm surprised actually that you were able to sit with us the whole time. That was kind of tough of you. You're all Rambo over there. (laughs) Uh, But uh, with that being said, I'm going to go ahead. And uh, for you two dads, I'm Corey, and I will check you later. Check you later. Bye. Look at your reflection in the mirror. You're creature of the night, Michael. Just like out of a comic book. You're a vampire, Michael. My little brother, a goddamn shit-sucking vampire. Oh, you wait till mom finds out, buddy. Sammy, wait. Sam! And that's been your two dads. Goodbye, everybody.